Let's open our Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. Notice verse 1. We'll take it verse by verse as we usually do. We might say that this chapter has to do with the economy. And then from the business, the, in the business world, from God's perspective, and then the military perspective, and then we'll find the social perspective in the last part of the chapter. But these th- things are covered as we deal with our relationships with the world and various things that we need to, to be involved in. But I want you to notice verse 1. It says, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Now, you need not to need to be envious because of their prosperity against the evil man, neither desire to be with them. In Psalm 37, verse 1, it says, Fret not thyself because of e- evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like grass and, and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, and so shalt thou dwell in the land. Verily shalt thou be fed. So don't worry about the prosperity of the wicked, or don't worry about uh, the evil man. And don't envy him in any respect, even if he may prosper in this world. And notice this verse says, Neither desire to be with them. The glorious lives of the worldly. You know, the worldly live glorious lives sometimes as far as the world is concerned. But it tells you and I to not even desire to be with them. We need to be careful as to what kind of company we keep and desire to keep. And there is such a thing as separation from worldliness for the child of God. And the Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And we're talking about ungodly and worldly and lustful and sinful living. And you know, there was a day that the, that the Puritans taught a separated life. Wouldn't hurt if we'd get back to some of that, would it? And really uh, make a difference between the outward life of a Christian and the general public. And nowadays they all mix together and it's very hard to tell them uh, apart sometimes. But you and I ought to make a change of that and really be an example of the believer in word, conversation, charity, and faith, and doctrine, as Paul told Timothy to be. An example of the believer. So neither desire to be with them. I don't desire that kind of company, do you? If God doesn't change your desire as to what kind of people that you associate with, there's something drastically wrong. Because God's people, Christian people, have a desire to be around those that speak right, that that speak of the grace of God, that, that try to live right. And they really shouldn't have any desire to live and be and run with wicked people. And it says, Neither desire to be with them. Look at verse 2. For their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Their desire is to do that. Now then look at the, the uh, business perspective from God's viewpoint. Business from God's perspective. What does he think about how you're to do in the business world? It says, Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. An house, or an individual, or a family, or an enterprise. Anything in this life. A house, your individual life, your whole family, or your enterprise, your, your, your business world, what kind of small business you're in, is grounded in wisdom, and is strengthened by understanding, that's good judgment, and it prospers by continuing knowledge. Notice these three words. Through wisdom and house, see you have wisdom. 
And then, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled. In other words, prosperity. If you could put these three things into to, uh, action in your family life, in your individual life, in your, uh, in your enterprise, it says this is the way it's built. This is the way a house is built. This is the way it's established. In other words, it's founded and furnished. And it prospers by these three things, by wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And we sell them short, don't we, nowadays? So God says everything can stand or fall upon these things, wisdom and understanding and knowledge. He says it can be built or it won't be built, it will not prosper, it, will not, it won't go. I get so amazed at some of the people in the business world up here in Rio Dosa. Their ideas are all to come in and make money real quick and fast, and a lot of it, it just doesn't work that way, friends. They have news for you, but I don't guess it's news to some, but it just doesn't work that way. It takes a long time, and you have to be faithful, and you know, if, uh, if you open the door from 7 till, till 6 or 5, you better keep the door open from 7 till 6 or 5 or whatever that, uh, time you set. Because when people come by and you close the door, they say, well, you know, they are there the other day, but they're not there today. Well, maybe they won't be there tomorrow. Maybe you're open tomorrow and they don't come by. Right? Suppose a church, people come to church say, well, you know, I went by that church Wednesday night and they're supposed to have service at 7 o'clock. And, you know, there wasn't anybody there. They decided not to, not to have it. Well, you know, two or three times they might not drive back by the next time. So you've got to be consistent. If there's two here or, or 20 or 200, you have to be consistent and uh, be faithful. And a lot of people don't understand that. I want you to notice, um, at ver- uh, look at verse uh, uh, <clears throat> 5. It says, A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. This is a, maybe be taken from the military perspective. It says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Strategy is strength. What does it say, verse 6? It says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy, make thy war. And in the multitude of counselors there is safety. You, have, you work out the right strategy, and there's great strength in a work, well-worked-out strategy. And verse 5 says, A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. So you put that uh, uh, knowledge into the proper category and work in the right way, and you will increase in strength. And then look at verse uh, 7, if you will. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. The gate is symbolical of the meeting place, or it, it actually is the meeting place. It's not just symbolical of it. But it's equivalent to the council chamber or law court. It's the place where the business was taken care of. Remember a lot set in the gate? We think maybe he was a alderman or a councilman or, a, or maybe even the mayor of the city, which he got in the wrong place. He shouldn't have been in politics. He was Abraham's nephew, and he should have followed the godly way of living instead of getting involved in all the things he's involved in. And, you know, he lost his testimony. He lost part of his family, by the way, and he almost lost the rest of them. And uh, God had to send the angels and drag Lot and his wife and the two daughters that were unmarried daughters out of the, out of the city. To rescue them, and because all all because of Abraham's prayer, it says God remembered Abraham when He destroyed the city. Didn't say God remembered Lot. God remembered Abraham, and He did it. He did what He did for Lot, 
He remembered Lot in the sense that he took him out, but he remembered Abraham's prayer and praying for him. So, uh, what we're saying here is that uh, sometimes it says, Wisdom is too high for a fool. Look here. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. Lot sat in the gate. And we find again in the book of uh, Ruth, uh, Boaz, he brought uh, the situation to the gate of the city where he uh, dissolved the question about uh, Naomi and uh, Ruth, the Moabitess, and about the inheritance that she had that was to be redeemed. And he says, there's another man that's a closer kinsman than myself, but he says, I'm going to give him a chance to redeem it. And if he doesn't, then I will redeem it myself. And we mentioned the other night how that this is typical of the law has the first chance to redeem us and what the law could not do, Christ did. And Boaz is typical of Christ. And he came and did for us what the law could not do. The Bible says that the law, though it was uh, meant to bring about good, and the law is good, by the way, but it says it's weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So there's a great lesson in that, but we, we're just talking about the uh, seventh verse. Wisdom is too high. This man is out of his element. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. Look at verse 8. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Here's a man that, here's, here's what we speak of, a calculated and brazen wickedness. He deviseth to do evil. I mean, that's his plan. Can you ever figure people devising and just planning to do evil? Some people fall into doing evil through temptation and through other ways, but for a man to just get back and plan it is beyond me. I can understand how a person can fall and get mixed up with the wrong crowd, do the wrong thing, be persuaded, by influenced or whatever, manipulated or whatever, pressured to do wrong. I can understand how sometimes a man might give in to some things like that and do the wrong thing. There's been many a young man that get with the wrong crowd and this... Uh, through the wicked planning of two or three of the guys in the crowd that are really mean and wicked, he, they'd be a, uh, associated with a, a very terrible crime, sometimes robbery and even murder. And maybe there would be a guy there that didn't want anything to do with that, but he got mixed up with them anyway. And that happens time and time again. So it does make a difference what kind of company you keep, doesn't it? It says, uh, uh, he that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Look at verse 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. Someone says, well, I didn't sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. And the scorner is an abomination to men. You see, the Bible says men sin when they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. They begin to sin. It starts with where? With yourself. And it ends up in Sin, and sin bringeth forth death. Lust when it is conceived bringeth forth sin. Sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. And the Bible says the wages is death. The wages of sin. Look at verse uh, uh, 10, if you will. Look at this. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Look at that. It's narrow. It's small. This is what we call caving in under pressure. Fainting in the day of adversity. When you're under exceptional strain and then become a quitter, don't quit in the day of adversity. A lot of people want smooth sailing all their lives, and you, you're not going to have it. You're going to have to learn how to stand the, the battles of life. Someone said something to me the other day. I forget what it was. He said, Brother Joyce, were you worried about something? I said, no, I wasn't worried about it at all. Oh, I know what it was. I went to the dentist yesterday. 
and uh, the uh, girls cleaned my teeth. And she said, were you worried about coming down and getting your teeth cleaned? I said, not, not a bit. Of course, that's a small thing, but, uh, you know, sometimes people are worried about everything. But when a situation rises, face that situation and go on with it. Every situation in life is not pleasant. But just learn to face up them, face up to them and trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall bring it to pass. He shall direct thy steps. Okay, look at this. It says uh, in verse uh, 10 again, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Jesus said that Men ought always to pray and not to faint. He used the same word. Luke 18.1 They ought to always what? Pray. And the word faint means to fold up or cave in. To give up under pressure. And then in verse 11 and 12, let's read these two verses together. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? See, God knows about it, doesn't he? We might call this, the excuse of ignorance is not acceptable. He says, If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? Don't use the excuse, I didn't know anything about it. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death... That means that we should witness too, doesn't it? That means we should rescue people. That means we should be about the, the master's business. And those that are ready to be slain. Now you're talking about you could use this in a physical way. The people are about to die and we could rescue them from death if we had opportunity. And we act like, well, I don't know anything about it. Well, that's the way when we uh, act ignorant about and unconcerned about other people as far as their spiritual life is concerned. Because they're men and women, boys and girls, that need spiritual rescuing and deliverance. And here's the test of responsibility. Are we responsible in this category? And remember that we must answer to God. And shall not He render to every man according to His works? It's God that ponders the hearts. He that keepeth thy soul, doth not He know it? He knows it. He keeps your soul. And isn't He going to answer? Uh, Isn't He going to render every man according to His works? So you and I need to realize that we have to stand up under the test of responsibility. We have to be responsible in whatever category God has put us in in this life and whatever talents and gifts that He's given us, we're responsible to use those. Someone says, well, I don't have any gifts. You have, you have gifts and you have ability. Remember in Matthew 25, Jesus gave to, to these their talents and He gave to one five talents, to another two and another one. And he says, every man according to his several ability. See, God knows the ability. And he knows what category you're in, five or two or one. But he expects you to be faithful. The one that had five gained other five talents. We're talking about in the sense this way, money instead of gifts. as Because talents there represented money. He took the five talents and he traded and he gained other five talents. The one that had two, he traded and he gained other two talents. One that had one, he went... He hid it. He said, I knew my Lord was an, an austere man, a hard man. He, he, he had an, uh, an awful opinion of his master. Someone said, well, that, that person was saved and then he was lost because he didn't do his works. Doesn't show he was even saved. No one that loves the Lord has a, 
has the idea in their heart that he's a hard man, that he doesn't care about us. And so he ended up in destruction, didn't he? But the whole story is that we have responsibilities, you and I, that we need to take care of. Let's look at verse 13. It says, My son, eat thou honey, because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. So shall thy knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul when thou hast found it. Then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Here is pleasure with profit. Here are wise instructions. Here is the pleasure of honey, sweetness, and with profit will do you good. If you have Psalm 19 and verse 10, it says this. More to be, well, let's read verse 9. He's talking about the Word of God, and the law of God, the statutes of God, the commandments of God. And the fear of the Lord, in verse 9, says, is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Look at verse 10 now. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Psalm 19, verse 10, verse 11 says, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. We're talking about prosperity and pleasure, the sweetness of God's Word. In Psalm 119 and verse, uh, let's see, verse 103 says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Look at that. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What? Is it real, literal honey? No. He says, How sweet are thy words to my taste. Do you have a real appetite for the Word of God? Do you have a real taste for the Word of God? He says, This is... This is pleasure, but it's with profit. Verse 14 in our text says, So shall thy knowledge of wisdom, so is compared to this honey and the honeycomb that is sweet to your taste. And it says, So shall thy knowledge, verse 14, uh, Proverbs 24, verse 14, So, the word so. In other words, it's like knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, in other words, that honey and honeycomb, then there shall be a reward and that's what it said in Psalm 119, I mean Psalm uh, chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. And it says, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. It will be profitable to you to seek God's word. My, isn't this a wonderful thing that God's word will bring profit as well as sweetness to our taste? That it will actually prosper our lives? Then why do people neglect this so? Why do we not take God's word and let it... Fill us with wisdom and understanding and knowledge so that it will bring about these good results and good rewards. Sometimes we seek everything. We seek everything but God's counsel and God's Word. The Bible says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And there are so many things. Well, Jeremiah said, I found thy words and I did eat them. And they were sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. They, I found them and I did eat them. He fed upon them. Job of old says, I have esteemed or reckoned or counted. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Do we consider God's word more than our necessary food? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. Oh, we put a great deal of, of interest on uh, the food for our bodies, which we need it, if we're going to, to have energy and strength to go on. Physically. But what about the food for our souls? Where's your inner, inner strength going to come from? It's going to come from the Word of God. I can go over in the book of Acts, and when they chose men that they wanted full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, they, 
chose men that were the deacons were filled with the word of God because they were thus filled by faith and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You show me a person that's filled with the Holy Spirit and I'll show you a person that's filled with the word of God. It's just as simple as that. Because that's where it comes from. It says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They were full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, it says. And they were full of faith and of power, right? You look at it. Okay, let's go on with this. In verse 15, it says, Lay not lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. God gives a warning to the wicked man. Wicked man seek, uh, seeks only his own interests. Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. And then in verse 16, notice what it says. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. I have beside this verse, you can't keep a good man down, right? A just man falleth seven times. Think of Abraham. It says Abraham went down into Egypt. Remember Abraham? When he was sojourning? Let me read it. In, in uh, Genesis 12, verse 9, And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there. Chapter 13, verse 1, After all the disappointment, it says, and Abraham went up out of Egypt. Right? He went down into Egypt. And what? He went up out of Egypt. Jonah went down to Tarshish. And he went down into the ship. And he went down into the whale's belly. But Jonah came out of it too, didn't he? God had to force him to do it, but he did. Finally, when he said salvation is the Lord, that old fish couldn't stand it any longer. And he throwed him up, vomited him out on dry ground. And Jonah got in a big hurry, and he went three days' journey into that city, and he was in a hurry to do what he says, Go, you preach the preaching that I bid you to start with. And boy, he went about saying, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And he started spreading it abroad, and then God uh, brought them all to repentance. And the man with the most successful revival in the history of the world turned a whole city, men, women, boys, and girls, and even the animals were down on their knees. To repentance, and he began to complain about it. God, I didn't want this kind of revival. Isn't that something? Because he wanted God to destroy that city, and it proved his preaching to be wrong. God had mercy on them. Isn't that something? We don't always see things like the Lord does, do we? But anyway, look at in the New Testament, the Bible says in Luke chapter 10 that a certain man, listen, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among thieves. So God sent a good Samaritan along to bind up his wounds, pour in oil and wine, to take him down to the inn, to take care of him. And he took care of him. He says, if he owes anything else when he comes, what is he going to do? If he owes any more, when I come again, I'll repay you. I'll pay it all. Jesus paid it all for us, didn't he? All right, let's go on down. Verse uh, 17 says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Look at that. Never gloat over another one's misfortune. Sometimes your joy may be a far more punishable sin than all the guilt of your enemy if you rejoice at what happened to someone else. Look at those verses again. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. In verse 19, it says, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious of the wicked. Never envy sinners, regardless of how, how good their life may look. Never envy them. In verse 20, For there shall be 
no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Never envy them because God is going to bring them to a final close. The candle of the wicked. That means the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Look at verse 21, if you will. Notice this. It says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. This is a godly citizen here. And meddle not with them that are given to change of the exalted. Don't give opposition to civil authority. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. And meddle not with them that are given to change. And that means those of exalted rank. Those that have a position to uh, law enforcement or civil authority. You better begin to be a good citizen. In uh, let's see, in First Peter chapter two and verse seventeen, it says, "Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king." In the book of Romans chapter thirteen, it says, "The powers that be are ordained of God, and you and I ought to do what? Be obedient to the civil authorities. Maybe maybe we don't like it all the time, but we're obligated as a Christian to be obedient to civil authority and to obey the laws of the land. And I still believe with all my heart." That a, a good Christian is the best citizen this nation ever sees, if he's a good Christian. Because he realizes he has to be honest with, uh, with every phase of, of, of our, our government. Now, there's a lot of things we don't like and a lot of things we'd like to change. You're going to have a chance to do that Tuesday. But uh, that's up to you. And I'm not going to get in the middle of politics. Every man's got enough sense to know how he can vote. So I don't have to tell you. A lady called me yesterday and says, Do you have your... A Christian coalition agenda for all your members? I said, yeah, I do. I told them to go out and vote. That's right. You know, everyone's got a conscience. They know who to vote for. I don't have to tell you who to vote for. Go and do it. Pray about it and then go and do it. Push all the buttons that need to be pushed. All right? And then it may not turn out like you'd like. I vote for losers more times than I vote for winners. But that's just my opinion of who I thought ought to win anyway. So let's go on with this. It says uh, in verse uh, 22, For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? Verse 23, These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. God is no respecter of persons, and you and I should have no respect of persons in judgment. Verse 24, He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nation shall abhor him. Well, we have a lot of people that do that, don't we? Say to the wicked, thou art righteous. You know, it's all right. Pat them on the back and say, you know, what you're doing is okay. That's kind of foolish, isn't it? Say to a wicked man, yeah, that's okay. You just do as you please. And I know what's going on, but you know, you're a pretty good man. The Bible says there's none what righteous, no, not one. And we've all seen come short of the glory of God. And so we all need God's righteousness. Verse 25. But to them that rebuke him shall be delight. Remember, the Bible says... Uh, rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. And a good blessing shall come upon them. In verse 26, look at this. Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth a right answer. This seals the matter. This confirms a fair judgment. The kiss is a sign of approval. Brother Andy's always saying, greet one another with a holy hug. And the Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss. But <laughs> it does. It really does. You go check it out. In those days, they kissed each other on the cheeks. But they had a little different system than we have nowadays. So a handshake's good too, isn't it? But I'm just saying, we need to love one another in whatever way the custom of the day and time is to show our respect and love for one another. That's good enough. 
if we'll do it and do it with a heart of love. Sometimes that handshake can mean just as much as is the other, but let it all be in sincerity, whichever way you choose to, to show people you care about them. And then it says on down here, notice this, in verse 27, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thine house. Boy, listen, here's the proper order. What does you do? Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field, in your field of work, and afterwards build thine house. Certain preparations need to be made before one begins a family. By the way, this is good advice for young people. Thinking about getting married. Prepare thy work without. Make it fit for thyself in the field. And afterwards build thine house. We must prefer necessaries before conveniences and not go into debt. We must get things in their proper order. Marry and then rear a family. That's God's order. Get everything in order. And these certain preparations need to be made. I'd like for people to dwell on those words and let them sink in. Look at them carefully now. Let's go over them. And you just let these words sink in your heart. Prepare thy work without. And make it fit for thyself to the field, in the field. And afterwards build thine house. In verse 28. Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause. And deceive not with, and deceive not with thy lips. Be not witness against your neighbor without a cause. You make sure you're right in witnessing against your neighbor. In verse 29, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. Don't say I'm going to get even or I'm going to do as I've been done. I will render to the man according to his work. That philosophy I'll do unto others as they've done unto me. Notice, God says, I will, I will remember, remember, render to man according to his work. I want you to notice verses 30 through 34 in a, in a group here. And we just, just have enough time for them. In the finish this chapter. He says, I went by the field of the slothful. Here we have the lesson of the sluggard or the slothful. And by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered. Was it a lesson? Was it instruction? <clears throat> then I saw and considered. I looked well upon it and received instruction. Now here's a lesson. To be learned. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. We'll make a few comments on this passage from verse 30 on to 34. Here is the wise teacher. He presents a lesson on laziness from the sluggard's neglected vineyard. He says, I'm going to show you something about laziness if you'll just look at it. What does he teach about laziness? First, he makes an observation in verse 30 and 31. He says, I went by the field. You observe what the sluggard does. He makes an observation. He says, I went by the field of the slothful and and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. He says, I observed it. The first thing he did. And then what did he do? He makes an observation. And then in verse 32... He makes an application. He applies it. He listens to it. Then I saw and considered it well, and I looked upon it and received instruction. He said, I'm going to apply this thing to myself. And then, the next thing, a wise man can learn lessons, can learn a lesson even from a sluggard. The Bible says the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. 
Therefore shall he beg in the harvest and have nothing. He thinks it's too cold to work and it's too difficult. He says, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in the harvest and have nothing. Why will he not plow? Well, it's too cold. Too hard to work to get out there in the cold. We have a lot of people like that that don't want to work because it's too cold. I remember years ago, I used to go up in the upper canyon. You know what that is in the wintertime. Mid-winter, December, January, and February. And shovel 16 to 18 18 inches or two foot of snow off of an old deck that I had down trying to frame up a wall and get a roof on a building in the middle of the winter. Shovel it off. Ice, snow, and all. And get the walls framed up and find it. Well, another snow piles in. Well, you've got to deal with that. Shovel it out there and finally get a roof frame. Get inside and then, then you can work inside the house, mate. But you don't do it without some difficulty. I could have given up. If I'd have given up in that upper canyon, it would have been the mid-May or June before I could have finished that house. And that's just one time out, one right up here on Pippin Street, a house two blocks up the hill. I built a real steep roof on the on the building, and it's in January and February, and I knew I didn't get paid till I finished the job, and I needed the money. So I got up there and shoveled the snow off that roof. It finally got it dried in, in between times. Then the next thing, I finally got up there and shoveled it again, and started shingling it, and then I'd shovel it again, put some more shingles on, got the roof on it, finished my job, so I could get some money to feed my family. You've been through those things. You know what I'm talking about. But you know, a lot of people just give it up and say, oh, it's too, too bad to work. Too bad a weather. Well, it may be, but when your family's hungry, the weather doesn't get too bad to work. It really doesn't. I just never did let that bother me if my family was hungry, if I had bills to pay. had a person call me the other day. He says, do you folks have any money to pay my propane bill? I said, well, you know, not hardly. Do you have a fund for paying my propane bill? And I started to say, well, if you want to send a couple hundred dollars, we'll start one. You know, people get crazy ideas, don't they? And I'm not sure that, that, you know, everyone learns how to just take, take. And you face this all the time. Well, the point is, we've all got problems. And if I can't pay mine, I go down and tell them, well, I'll have to wait. Well, you know, I'd have to make arrangements or do something. I'd have to do something. I'd have to face the problem. And I'm sure that there's lots of people in need. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that uh, you know, would like to have us pay their propane bill. But uh, we, Randy and I tried that one time. We went out here. Church paid two hundred dollars for this lady, and Randy and I went out together, right, right up uh, Paradise Canyon, paid her propane bill, and we thought, well, maybe she'll come to church. We give her a little church card. About well, we gave her a chance. About three or four weeks later, we went back, and she didn't even know us. Who are you? What are you doing here? Smoking a cigarette, burning that up. <laughs> You know, y'all get, at least you'll get farther, won't you? Okay, let's go on the next thing. In other words, uh, the sluggard will not begin, he will not begin things, he will not finish things, he will not face things. He is restless and he is helpless and he is useless. And he has too many excuses, too many excuses for not doing what he needs to do. Well, we'll let it go with that. Thank you for your patience, your kind attention.